Yeah, in one like, ear and out the other, yeah? yeah? Some of it's like I'm trying to read, but then I'm like trying to, I'm like, okay, trying to follow and create like a pattern mm-hmm. to help me like understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And no, I'm trying to great. figure out yep. like. That's why we have our little cheat sheet. <laughs> yeah, so be really excited, but I'm still like, I still, you made me cry. That was funny. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so how do you really feel? So. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to our cheat sheet. Okay, let's go back to our cheat sheet, and then we'll be able to kind of figure out what's going on here. So, um, book one is all about samadhi pada, integration on concentration, a chapter on samadhi or cognitive absorption, which we're going to learn is the highest highest state of consciousness that we're trying to get to. Patanjali opens with the big picture, which is a roadmap to where we're going, to the state of samadhi itself. And this is what we started off our conversation with today. Yoga Sutra 1.1. Atta Yoga Nushasanam. You want to try that? Atta, Atta Yoga, yoga Nushasanam. So how I tried to give you a cheat sheet is that I gave you the Atta, and then I defined it many different ways. You can choose what you want to. Atta, now is the time. Now then, yoga is being explained. Now begins an exposition of yoga. Yoga, meaning union, joining, state of integration, merger with the divine self, balance, right? There's so many different ideas of what, like, unity, uh, what yoga means. Anu means atom or the smallest building block in nature. And anushasanam is an explanation or a perception on its fundamental level. So all of those, like, really, like, deep, heady sentences all have very significant meanings. Like we saw, there was breath ratio, there was a nirvana, there was meditation. We discussed um, being in the zone. We discussed prana. We discussed om. Um, and we discussed how this is habitual, right? But that's a lot to be thrown at us in 51 lines of book one. So as we go through this, we're going to kind of break it down to might what be like the top sutras to kind of either remember or be aware of but when you're teaching pretty much you're going to be talking about breath work Mm -hmm. this is more of the background knowledge as to why you come to the mat and why you stay on the mat and why you bring the mat into everything that you do right because you can't just dip your toe in the ocean and then say like well I know all about the ocean and all the animals and the experience and how to surf and you know be a what do you, what's the person who captains a boat, you know, like, but you have to, yeah, right, <laughs> but you actually have to, like, get wet and absorb yourself in it, and maybe it's, you know, and that's how you're going to be able to be a really good communicator as a teacher, so let's, so that's 1.1, now is the time, then let's see, uh, 1.2, yogash chitta vritti narodaha, want to try that? Yogash, Shitta Vritti, Narodaha. So I gave you four different ways to define it. Yoga is the control of the modifications of the mind field. Or yoga is the suppression of the modifications of the mind. Or the state of yoga arises when you cease to identify with your fluctuating mind. Or yoga is the dissolution of the mind into the origin of the mind field. Much more like a Buddhist philosophy meditation teacher kind of way of saying, you know, you get a blue sky mind when you really don't cling to the things that truly aren't you, but are kind of like your ego. Yeah? So 
Let's break down the idea of vritti. Vritti means fluctuations or turnings. I like to think of this as like a record, right? So the mind field is a mutation of sattva, which is the purest aspect of prakriti. And we learned that prakriti on the other page of this is matter, right? So we have consciousness and matter that are always kind of working together to balance out the scales and create the equanimity. And then in turn, chitta become our thoughts. So the perceived tool which occurs during meditation. I don't know, when I grew up, my dad always told us that shit happened when we were like pissed off or upset about something like that. But truly, it's kind of the same thing. It's like chitta happens. It does. I have one. Yes. Yes. Um, when I taught at Wanderlust, that was the name of some of my uh, lectures and stuff. But chitta happens, right? It's like shift perspectives, people, right? Do your yoga. And the yoga isn't about the physical. It's about how do we flip that switch? Because the mind is a mutation of sattva. And it's purest aspect of prakritiya. And what we're trying to do is get these thoughts that occur to flow in the right direction. So I have written here, chitta is a river which flows in either two directions. We can go into the world of experience where we have desire, ignorance, sin, indiscriminate stuff, you know, all those things that our ego likes to cling on to, and then the ocean of spiritual sources, true self-knowledge, liberation, independence, control over our samskaras, those broken records, you know? In, samskara, samskara, samskara. Yeah, samskara, hala, hala, moha, shantie. Samskara are those broken records. And what I was saying this morning uh, when we started here, that like those stress things, whether it's weather, tragedies, um, the chaos of your life, um, family stuff, anything that's going to make you feel um, distracted or kind of unhappy, right? Those are the samskaras. Or that person who just knows what button to push that's a samskara because it's dug such a good groove that it has become hala hala poison hala is poison and what we're trying to do is to stop the flow in one direction and make it flow in the other so that we find the balance between the two because when we'll talk about raga and dvesha you can grasp onto um the idea of experience just as much as you can grasp onto spirituality. I know lots of people who have ruined their lives because they've gotten so obsessed in a negative way with the spirituality of things, thinking that that's like going to actually heal them, right? We're always on like a little kid on this little seesaw. Not too much of anything. Right. Spirituality. Yeah. 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 And that's what this is kind of teaching you is that part of equanimity means is that like we can't dive off the deep end of either side. And vritti, as it goes on in the next paragraph, is not simply a thought. It's the activity of forming concepts from individual thoughts that rise in the mind. So the practice of constructing or inducing um, mental impressions. And we all have twisted thoughts or perversions and stuff like that or any kind of thing that's a samskara, that broken record. How about judgment or doubt? right? And that's when we have to really tap into the facets of us, and that's the tejas. Uh, every single thing, good and bad, we have to embrace all facets of ourself, because 
um, with light comes shadow, right? And it's not saying like, ooh, that's not me, because then if you do that, you're actually going to hurt yourself. But if you kind of like open up to the awareness of all the facets of you and cultivate the stillness of mind and the cessation of the misidentification with the mental modifications, then you're finally doing what yoga is all about, finding unity and wholeness so that everything is lustrous, everything is beautiful. So I love that they call this kind of practice stems from Raja Yoga because we are regal and we are radiant, but we like to diminish ourselves. We like to put these kind of like preconceived notions on us. And if we kind of take off those weights, then we can see that regal glow, that aura. Some people see auras, right? We can see that lightness. We look at someone, we're like, I want what she has, right? Because they have like that um, je ne sais quoi, whatever, that they have that like, mm. yeah, the spark, the charisma. Yeah, and, and it was new, we know charisma can go two different ways. But the idea is that we're calming so that we can come into a state of being. And when we do this, I used to teach like different exercises, but remember that our practice is a moment to moment conversation. We're nourishing ourselves so that we can attain a clear state of um, being awake. Because our job of our mind is to think. We're always going to think. So what we're trying to do is remember that we're not the content of our thoughts. Right? And if we remember that we're not our content of our thoughts, then we can let them come and go like clouds in the sky. So we have a blue sky mind because you are non-attached. So that leads into um, Yoga Sutra 1.12 is um, Abhyasa Viragya Bam Tan Narodaha. Practice, comma, non-attachment are the way to avoid identifying with your fluctuating mind. Mm -hmm. So we'll really remember that practice is a discipline, right? And in the beginning of our time together, I said we have this moral discipline practice that we're working on. Like the wings of a bird, you can't fly with only one wing. That's why you can't just dip your toe in the ocean and say that you're a um, captain of a marine biologist. Yeah. <laughs> you have to really remember that practice is progress. And the sutras are explaining to us how we practice. The sutras are explaining to us um, that it's habitual. Um, 1.14. Um, it's talking about how your practice will have a firm foundation and with this attention to over an extended period of time with sincerity and without interruption. I don't care if you meditate for five minutes every day, but if it's a constant habitual practice, that practice in turn becomes magical. I don't care if your practice is a moving meditation. If your moving meditation is 15 minutes in the morning, some Ashtangis think that they only have to do five Surya Namaskara A's if they can't do a complete practice. But if you actually are doing something habitually, it starts to then start to blossom into more of what the magic and the alchemy of the practice is about. Um, 1.15, non-attachment is the awareness of your own self-mastery as a seer while not clinging to sensory objects already experienced or heard from others. So we have to be aware of our own self as seer and seen with non-attachment. So we have to suspend our knee-jerk reactions. 
And this is a really nuanced walk because as a um, practicing viragya, as a teacher, we want to sometimes um, help fix things instead of just holding space for someone. And that's what you do as a therapist, right? Right? And this is the hardest thing because it's like the girl with the um, red shoes or, you know, uh, there's a story about the girl with the red shoes and, and you have this really interesting thing you have to do where you're balancing compassion versus empathy. And as a teacher, we have to notice how challenging it is to practice with a sense of non-attachment to thoughts and feelings that arise without getting involved or identifying with those thoughts and feelings. Because what you're hearing from your students is something that you already have. But then you can't go fix someone. You have to just hold space for them and let them come to it on their own. If you try to fix them, you can waste three years of your life and feel really miserable and be really angry at yourself because you just wasted three years of your life. And now I'm talking about myself, but... <laughs> it's funny, but it's not. But the idea of what you're trying to do is, is that like life is a nuanced walk, right? And we have to um, remember that... Um, that compassion versus empathy is um, we're not clinging to experiences or objects from someone else's thing because it can mess up your own life. And we have to, in order to be good yogis, hold space, but also hold space for ourselves, self-care. It's like not soaking someone else's bad energy mm -hmm, your own. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wrote a little note here we always, as teachers, have malas or shields. You know, you have like your, um, your uh, necklace, you have a bracelet, you have a talisman, you have a token, you always maybe have your notebook. But there's something there that you can use as a barrier or a protective shield. One of the easiest ones is wash your hands before class, wash your hands after class. But that's a whole other class, how to create a sacred space for yourself and for your students so that you can keep um, space. I know that was close. Um, so you can keep space, but that you can also m not own their stuff. You can still be compassionate without like trying to fix something. If you Google um, Brene Brown, oh, yeah. a lot of her work, it's B-R-E-N-E -E, and then Brown. Um, she talks about it's not um, empathy and compassion, but she does um, sympathy That's a good way of saying it. Yeah, and because yeah, otherwise you'll get um, emotional residue or you can have vicarious trauma. And um, that was actually just in a Psychology Today article that I read from November 2017. <laughs> that one. <laughs> I'm doing a whole series on it for our, my work. Okay, um, so emotional residue or take on? Yep, emotional residue and, mm -hmm. and um, vicarious trauma are the, those are all studied. That's so understand huge. if they don't absorb it, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You can like you can sit with someone, um, you can like listen to some some horrible stuff, but then you have to be able to say, man, 
versus mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can understand those emotions and sitting with that understanding instead of sitting with the, ooh, that sucks to be you. I'm over here. <laughs> and I'm elevated, you know, but you can you can mm-hmm. instead say like, oh, I relate to those emotions or feelings and I can relate to them. But if I suddenly start feeling those same emotions and I'm sitting in that same emotional boat with someone, that can be really traumatizing mm-hmm. if you hear that day in and day out. And that becomes so what you just... Codependency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Otherwise known as. Right. Well, and she, that's Brene Brown's real yeah. big in the codependency oh, world. Yeah. But the, I, I love that word emotional residue because that uh-huh. goes back to the samskaras. That can, their issue can become your broken record, uh, you know, and it can fill right in there. And then you, so we really have to make sure that we're holding space for ourselves just as much as others. Thank you for sharing. That was awesome. Yeah. So then on the uh, bottom of page three, where in your cheat sheet, Yoga Sutra 1.23, or you can cease identifying with the fluctuating mind through total surrender and devotion to the divine self. Okay, so once again, we're talking about this as not being a religious text, but Ishvara means, by definition, I give you different examples, the ultimate seer, the personal divine, the divine within. One of the names of the divine is your name. So whatever your God-given name is, whatever you have on your birth certificate, that's that's another name for Ishvara. Um, God is also another definition of Ishvara. Prana, life energy, your thoughts, your words, and your actions, right? All of your um, energetic things. And then dhyana, which means dedication, devote, surrender, or donation. The power of surrender is really big in this text, and it's such an important concept that Patanjali repeats it four times. It's the express route to enlightenment. Surrender is not a sign of weakness, right? It's hard. Yep, it's a hard lesson to learn. In yoga, victory is attained when we surrender our limited sense of who we are and make space to feel our true nature. Anybody read the Bhagavad Gita yet? It pains me that it's not on your list. Please read the Bhagavad Gita. It's beautiful, it's lovely, it's a story that can be read in less than two hours. That's why I'm saying. Why is it not? Because it's referenced a lot in all of the books. I'm the one who always gets in trouble, so don't ask me. Is there a book you would recommend? Yes, I will. Uh, there's a man named uh, that uh, I will get it's Stephen Mitchell. Yep, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, I believe. The Bhagavad Gita, written by him, is really a fantastic read, very understandable, just like um, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali by Chip Hartranft. They're both really good books. Okay, when we go to um, the next page, page four. There's a quote by Anais Nin, um, and I don't know if I pronounced her name right, but um, it said, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to bloom. We have to, uh, Bernay Brown reference, but you have to live life wholeheartedly. You have to, period. You have to remember, ata, now is the time. Right here, right now. 
give yourself to your essence or God or whatever it is, and then you attain the, attain the identity of that. Because if not, what's whatever you do, whatever you feel grows, and that is why we have that word dis in front of ease. If we get rid of disease and just have ease, we can get over ourselves, do it now, and become the superhero or the siddhas because we have the beating heart of a badass. We do, period. Siddha, in the second two chapters of the Yoga Sutras, is all they talk about. Siddha means superhero, superpowers. That's what you can attain once you start opening up to all of the amazing things that happens when you get out of your own fucking way. <laughs> Seriously, like we're, we're our worst enemies, right? We're the ones creating the anxiety, the discontent, the compression, the... Yeah. And if we really allow ourselves to open up to letting our freak flag fly and being a superhero, then that's when the power has come. 1.272829, Patanjali references the secret sound of Om. And remember I had you guys say A-U-M, Aum. And Patanjali talks about the power of Om and the way to bring us back to our true nature. And repetition and reflection of Om destroys obstacles of knowing and brings knowledge to the divinity within. Okay, so we already talked about Sanskrit in and of itself. The, the word is defined as to polish. So when we say something in Sanskrit, we're actually polishing our body. Um, the hertz of the earth is 7.83, blah, 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 okay? When, when yogis say om, om is also defined as the primordial sound of the universe, mm -hmm. which means that it's 7.83. By saying om, you're rebooting your body energetically because you're literally triggering your central nervous system that, you know, your brain to reboot or to kind of tune back into your true nature, your vibe. Um, and I had asked you all to write down the A, U, and the M. Um, you all know what OM looks like, yes? Okay, the three-ish looking thing, also considered to be the trunk of an elephant. Elephants are huge. Ganesh is huge in yoga. Um, but the three is the A. And that's the waking state. Okay? Because we're now tapping into the states of being. The U is the O, the circle. Right? And that's your dreaming state. And then that little half moon shape, that's the deep sleep state. And then there's this little dot, right, that people put on their faces, right, called a bindi. But that little dot is called a bindu, with a U, where it's representing past, present, and future, where you're transcending all space and time into magic. We don't know. Into. So it goes... This is interesting, too, and we'll do this before we leave as a group tonight in 12 minutes. Ah, ooh, mm, space. What's here other than my finger? Chakra. Okay, chakra. could be root chakra, right, which is a, a mula, right? Oh, yep, so it's a mula banda, yes? 
And you know how much I love saying bandas versus core, because I think it's all about the bandas. So what's this? Right? Ooh. What's this one? Jalhandara bandas. Yep. Mm -hmm. So all of these chakras, all these bandas correlate with how to the express route to enlightenment, it said in this chapter, was just to say om. A-U-M-A. We'll practice before we go tonight. It's very cool. Yeah. Everybody's okay? Yeah. You're all looking at me weird. <laughs> We're dropped in. <laughs> okay, so Yoga Sutra 1.33 is all about how the mind becomes purified by the cultivation of feelings of amity, compassion, goodwill, indifference, respectively, towards happy, miserable, virtuous, and sinful creatures. Or to preserve innate serenity of mind, be happy for the happy, compassionate towards the unhappy, delighted for the virtuous, and indifferent to the wicked. Remember, you cannot change people. I'm a walking what not to do. You really, really, really remember that you are trying to be super, super nice and indifferent if someone is miserable, but you also have to practice that same self-care upon yourself, or you will have emotional revenue and have vicarious trauma. <laughs> Just stifling. Um, I like the uh, mayatri means friendliness, karuna means compassion, mood. Dita means delight. Upeksha means indifferent. Sukha. I have a friend who named their dog Sukha. The opposite of Sukha is Dukkha. That's like icky, poopy, gross stuff. Punya, virtue, and prasad, blessed. So all creatures want to be happy, the Dalai Lama said, but also happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. We want to be empathetic by nature, because it's hard not to feel for others, and we want to rejoice in the good fortune of others and treat them with compassion and kindness. Um, but we also have to remember to take care of ourselves. That's a huge thing. People numb out because they are disconnected, and we are forced in this culture to be maybe even a little bit competitive, but as yogis, we can't be indifferent. We're spiritual activists, and it's a choice of being right, uh, of right versus being free. So that's why we do our karma projects. That's why some of us might want to be vegetarians. That's why um, yogis are such big activists is because we want to um, remind ourselves that we are intimately connected in the best way to uplift our own lives. And part of that is um, doing everything we can do to uplift other people's life. Spirituality, um, a lot of the things we learn in yoga is like giving back, right? And that um, a community-supported network is huge. That's why you study in a group of individuals. That's why they become your accountability group. They help to elevate you. Um, but you are pure of heart revolutionary spirits. And the only way to keep that energized and not lose that and not feel that spark all the time is because you have a community or your karma projects or things that allow you to kind of um, stay balanced. Because if you're trying to fight alone, you can't be a pure of heart revolutionary spirit on your own. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, and then we go into Yoga Sutra 1.34, but exhaling and restraining the breath, also the mind is calm. And so um, meditation is the express ticket to enlightenment. This is talked about a lot. 
And when you exhale and restrain the breath, it's called the kumbhaka. You heard that before in breath ratio classes. Kumbha means pot. Our body is a temple. Our body is just this pot, this incredible vessel. And the pillar of it is our spine. And that's like science and all that stuff. But the pillar we also call the hara line, which is part of the kundalini, the shishumna where we're uncoiling so that we can use our body for greater purposes. And then the next thing we're going to discuss is um, book two, Sadhanapada, um, Path to Realization. It's about practice. Like, how bad do you want it? And here's the three-step path. And this practice um, or chapter on Sadhana or the conscious practice of yoga Patanjali gives the sadaka, the one who practices, step-by-step directions for reaching samadhi. I find it interesting because sadaka is spelled differently in Hebrew but enunciated the same way. It means charity. So that we're giving this practical step-by-step directions to reach samadhi. If you want it, here's what you need to do. I gave you the road map in chapter one, right? Um, Patanjali is saying because that's called what? Chapter 1. Samadhi Pada. right? So that was the road map to get into this higher state of consciousness. But if you really want it, then I'm going to give you step-by-step directions to how to get there. And this is where the Eightfold Path comes about. This is where it breaks down um, the Yamas and Niyamas. It's going to be really cool. So the next time that we come together, we're going to spend a lot of time on this and then kind of cruise through the fun three and four, which is all about the um, superpowers that we get. But chapter one is like the roadmap. Chapter two is like the heart and all the interesting things and why we're practicing yoga. And then three and four are superpowers and some of the magic stuff that happens. Okay. So before you close this, let's all say sadhana. Sadhana. Pada. Pada. The path to realization or on practice. We're going to learn how bad we want it. So you can keep that open for yourself. What I would love to do before we go is to practice all together saying the A-U-M-A. What time does your watch say? 4.57. Okay. It's a perfect timing. Thank you. Three. I know. Ah, uh, and then space. The magic happens when we create the space, right? So we create this really nice long lean line of energy, and we're sitting in a pose called what? Easy, Easy pose, which is. Sukhasana, right? Sukha. And we're always elevating our hips higher than our knees so we don't hurt anything, but sit comfortably however you like. Um, We're making sure our pelvic bowl is a bowl so that we can kind of find um, that uh, balance between the pubic bone and the tailbone, the king and the queen of your practice, so that we can find ease in the spinal column which wants to be long as we keep the space through our lower lumbar region, that gentle curve, and the gentle curve through the back of the head. 
Um, and as our body finds this nice space of alignment, we're in Tadasana. Even though we're si sitting, we're standing in our truth, really awake, alive, captivated in this moment. It's a very empowering um, thing to do. Um, and when you then start to create this uh, pillar, do you know another name for pillar is Dharma? So your spine, which could be a shashumna, could be a spinal column, could be your central nervous system, is also a pillar, a dharma, that helps your temple, your kumbha, your pot, to really resonate on the proper vibration and to really allow itself to um, be, right? I don't know how to express it in words. Uh, but what we're trying to do is um, allow the energy of the Om to get us to tune back into the primordial sound of the earth. So if we were maybe on a different path, just like a binaural beats music or, you know, some of the different um, things that are out right now musically that balance the right and left hemispheres for sensory integration, it's the same thing that we're doing when we say Om. So... You're welcome to close your eyes or look at a spot about four feet out in front of you. You want to keep your eyes gently, softly, kind of in between closed and open. It's like sfumato of a painting where it's a little bit fuzzy, but you still see light. And you can have your palms facing down, which circulates energy. Palms facing up, drawing in energy. You could even find a mudra. But wherever you are, we're just going to do three times together. Ah. Ooh, mm, create space. It'll flow together actually to sound like Om, but there's so much more when you really find those words. So take a really nice cathartic exhale. Inhale, breathing in. As we bring our hands in front of our chest for Anjali Mudra, feel that you truly are holding the preciousness of your heart in your hands because everything that we're talking about together, you already know. We're just shining a brighter light on you as you create space to wake up. May the merits of your practice benefit not only everybody that you come in contact with, but benefit you in thought, in speech, and in action. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day.
Namaste. Namaste.